Hi, this is Mark Morin with the 206.com podcast. This is part of the New Directions podcast series of interviews. And today I'm speaking with director Diane Paragas. Hello, Diane. Welcome to the show. Hi, nice to see you. Yeah, thank you for being here. So we are primarily talking about your movie, Yellow Rose, and a fantastic film I watched during the Hawaii International Film Festival. Congratulations on completing the film and putting it out there. Now, the one thing that I noticed right off the bat, just looking at the cast of the movie is Eva Noblezada plays the title character, Rose. You have Leah Salonga in the movie. It's like right there, it's like, holy cow. And then Princess Punsalan, I hope I'm saying that right. So mm-hmm. right off the bat, there's three Filipino women starring in a movie directed by you, a Filipino woman, which is just, to me, is just amazing to see. So congratulations on creating this opportunity. But first thing I want to talk about is we have to talk about Eva's incredible performance. Like, where did you find this superstar? She is a star. I kind of want to go back. I think, you know, this movie had taken me a very long time to make. I Mm -hmm. took me more than 15 years to get it financed off the ground, all of those things. And I knew that it's the kind of movie that you have to have a star in order for it to succeed. And I remember at the very beginning, as we were talking about it with different producers, I said, you know, we basically have to find the next Leia Salonga. And, (laughs) you know, um, the way they kind of searched the world for her and they found this kind of unknown. And around the time I got financing to do a short, which preceded the the feature, Eva had just gotten cast as Miss Saigon in a revival Uh in London. I was like, what? You know, that's so perfect. (laughs) But she was, you know, opening, you know, doing previews in London and then went on to get an Olivier nomination. And then she played Miss Saigon on Broadway in the revival and got a Tony nomination out of that. And by the time she had already gotten the Tony nomination, I had gotten all the money to make Yellow Rose the feature. Uh, So I went to go see her. I actually made a point not to see her because it was so heartbreaking. I knew she was in the play. Mm -hmm. She couldn't, you know, play the lead in my film. And when I got uh, the fundraising, I went to see her on Broadway and I had dinner with her that night and she blew me away. I (laughs) offered her the part on the spot (laughs) without consulting anyone. And yeah, I I had to wait for her a bit longer, but I just knew she had just the depth, the incredible singing voice, of course. I think when when you cast actors that come from theater, you have to see that they could have the potential to act down, you know, to act for this you know, for close-ups, for the camera being right there. And there was something really interesting in her acting style that I noticed in Miss Saigon, and that is she has a very cinematic style of acting, even on stage. (laughs) And she didn't go through formal training as an actor uh, for for the stage. So she actually taught herself how to act by watching movies. And that's something I learned when we were on set and we had all this time together. And (laughs) I said, that makes total sense because you are such a natural in front of the camera. So we were just really lucky and, you know, as soon as I saw her literally on day one, I started writing more difficult scenes, changing the script because I knew how much she could handle. Like there's a couple scenes that were added on um, because I knew how incredible she was. I I was just very lucky. She's an incredible, incredible actress. Uh, She's really a director's actress. She just nailed it every time. If I asked for adjustment, she would do it perfectly and then give me two other alternatives and then move on. Yes, you really need a strong 
personality and somebody with a strong talent to tackle this role. And it's interesting that you say that you added more meat to the role as well, because I mean, really, this isn't just a run of the mill coming of age story for Rose. It's a commentary on current events you know, that are affecting people right now in the United States. There's a lot of different angles that you put into the story. There's a lot of depth and just a lot of emotions. Thank you know, you. You, and you were working on this story, like you just said, for many years. How did this project first start? And over the years, how much did it evolve into the finished story that we see on screen? Well, it started because I grew up in Texas mm. and uh, in full disclosure, I was dating this actor and uh, <laughs> he was, I was trying to write my, you know, a, a script and he mm. said, you know, I think it's so interesting your background as a Filipino in this small Texas town. And I was like, mm. oh, who would want to see a movie about that? And then I thought, well, what if the character, so I, when I was growing up in Lubbock, Texas, mm. I did not feel like I belonged just like Rose, but, and I played music as my outlet, just like Rose. Oh, wow. But instead of embracing country music, I shaved my head, had a mohawk, and was in this <laughs> like punk band. So I thought if I took all of those feelings I had, but then made this character love everything fundamentally Texan, most specifically country music, Mm -hmm. That was a much more interesting premise. And and so that's kind of how I came up with the idea. And in, and in the course of, of writing it, I could explore all those feelings that I had of isolation and not fitting in and being a square peg in a round hole, which is, <laughs> you know, the big song in the film. So it's semi-autobiographical, but, you know, I, I love the idea of also doing a modern-day Western where the hero is a brown person, a woman, and instead yeah. of a gun and a horse, she has a bus pass and a guitar. <laughs> and, you know, I did use a lot of tropes from Westerns. I did a lot of mm -hmm. tipping the hat to Westerns. Like, for example, the opening shot when she walks into frame, that's a shot they use in John Wayne movies, where oh, you nice. shoot the hero up. Yep, and exactly. so a lot of times we shot up into the sky and she would enter frame, kind of like John Wayne. So oh, wow. it's a very subtle tip to yeah. Uh, John Ford and Searchers and a lot of the sky shots were yeah. were kind of intended to be this tip of the hat. We shot in, in vintage lenses, anamorphic lenses to give it that old tiny feel too. Yeah, that's one of the things I really noticed about the visual aspect of the movie. It was just beautifully shot and it did have that cinematic quality. I didn't think of that, of how you're describing it, of how it was made, but it definitely had that look. There's a there's a picture that I keep seeing. It's a screenshot from the film of her and the, the kid she's dating sitting in front of mm -hmm. the hay bale. And that is that My looks favorite. like a classic Western image. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. Really, yeah, that, that's really cool that that was something that you really intended for because it it absolutely does come across. I want to give a shout out to my cinematographer, August Thurmer, oh, who nice. was incredible and shot every single shot himself. And the entire film was shot handheld. Our main shooting schedule was 19 days mm -hmm. uh, on a single camera. So I just have to give it to him with very little time to light. We really used natural light, uh, which is what I wanted to do. But we used you know, very few lit scenes or very, very subtle lighting. The music to me in this movie is so important to the storytelling and the songs are fantastic as well. And it was really interesting to me for her to be an aspiring country singer. It really creates that unexpected aspect of who she is. Can you go into that more as far as how the music was incorporated into the film? 
You know, it's funny, this film brought music back into my life in many ways. I, I as I mentioned, I had a band in high school and I've always played music as part of my life, but mm -hmm. I never kind of incorporated it in, in my work and, okay. it, until this film. And it really kind of brought out that side of me, which is, is wonderful. But because that character, you know, the music that comes out of her and the kind of music that she likes, the kind of country music that she likes is, mm -hmm. is very specific too, because she kind of likes the old Towns Van Zandt, you yep. know, Johnny Cash. Yep. the traditional country music, which they call now Americana. You know, there's other words for it, but um, right. you know, that's the kind of music that she likes. And she, you know, you can see from the very beginning, she listens to vinyl. She has yep. this sort of old soul quality <laughs> and that music had to be very specific. So I had a hand in writing the music, um, but most wow. of it came from Dale Watson, who plays yep. himself uh, or, you know, <laughs> in a meta way in the film. Right. And he actually kind of champions the preservation of Americana music as, <laughs> as a musician. And he has a, a award show that he hosts called the Maripolitan Awards, where oh. he's like preserving this kind of music. And he's like kind of a musical mayor of Austin, Texas too. <laughs> so just everything about the music, if there was any authenticity to the music, I have to attribute it to Dale and <laughs> a little bit to me trying to put my head in the character and try to think of what she would write. And our big song in the film is called Square Peg. And that was yeah. also co-written with uh, the young woman who starred in the short, Thea okay. McGee, who's an amazing musician too. And she and I and Dale in character were wrote that song together for the short. Yeah. And it was just so powerful. And she's an incredible musician as well as a songwriter. So that's how that song happened. That's amazing. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about Dale, so you jumped ahead of me there, but no, that's great. And had he done any acting before? Because he was fantastic. He in had that actually. Um, he was in, he, you know, he usually plays some version of himself. He was in Friday Night Lights. He was in a couple of bit parts in other films. He appears a lot in commercials, but I met him really to meet him as a musician, someone uh, I direct commercials you know, for my day job, a creative director was telling me about Dale and I hadn't really known much about him, but I was asking him about musicians in Austin because he used to be a musician in Austin. And he said, oh, you got to go to Dale Watson. And, and he kind of sounds like the character too. I mean, you got to <laughs> meet this guy. So when we were shooting the short, I met him and he just blew me away. Just meeting him, that he is who he is in the film, yeah. almost exactly. And it was just a very obvious yes to have not just him write the music but mm -hmm. to star in the film as himself and, and it seemed like him and eva had a really good um, on-screen chemistry as well as that oh, mentor yeah. and student relationship so uh, and they had and they had that in real life because he was sort of teaching her the ropes of country music as oh, well nice. something that she wasn't that familiar with and it was just such a thrill the shots that you see i'm giving away a little bit but <laughs> the shots you see of them in the recording studio uh -huh. were us actually recording the songs. Oh, really? So a lot of that, those reactions you see in that mm. thing were them collaborating truly together as musicians. And right. it, a lot of it was so natural because that was really happening. That's when we recorded our songs on the weekends and then we would shoot. <laughs> so, uh, and then we would <laughs> go in advance and then 
I wrote a song, I think the last weekend of shooting, um, because I felt we needed one more song. And it's mm -hmm. the song that play, it's called Quietly Into the Night. And we recorded wow. it in the studio like the last day or something <laughs> like that. So my background is documentaries. And what was really important for me when I was casting and when I was conceiving of the film was to cast real musicians. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to have them write the music within the context of the film production. And that's how come we made Square Peg. It's a, that was my test, because Dale was cast for the short as well, was to see how that went and we, we produced that song. So I think I'm somebody when I watch a film and you, you have an actor playing musician, I can always tell when they're not and it really <laughs> bothers me. Yeah. Um, and of course, one of the big influences on the film was Once where mm. everything about that film was the authenticity of those two musicians. And mm -hmm. you just felt that connection by the fact that they had written those songs. They are most definitely musicians first. And that was something that I, it was important to me. Yellow Rose has won awards in festivals and you were recently named on Gold House's 100 Most Impactful Asians in Culture. Congratulations on that. No, I Insane. Mean, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, all of this happening and really the movie hasn't even been released yet. So, yeah. I mean, it's been in festivals and a lot of people have seen it, but the general public hasn't had a chance to enjoy the movie yet. So what has it meant to you seeing the response from festivals, from critics, and from the Asian community in particular? Well, I think I think my proudest moment was when we got acquired by Sony Pictures. I'm so proud to say that Yellow Rose is the first Filipino film released by a major Hollywood studio for theatrical release. And that's both amazing and sad at the same time. So, you know, we were, I think, I was the first Filipino female to open the LA Asian Film Festival. Yeah. Just, there's just not a lot of, and it was the first Filipino film to open the festival in 20 years. The last film was the debut. So it, it just seems sad to me that there's not more work out there. And even within the Asian American film festivals, which are, are really the ones that lifted our film up, but it's just been a real source of pride to have a Filipino film break out the way it did. And so many people, Filipino people, particularly young women, always come up to me after the screenings and just thank me for waiting as long as I did and sticking it out so that they could see an image that looked like themselves on the big screen. But I think maybe more surprising and more satisfying in a way is how universally received the film has been. I mean, I would say the number one most emotional audience member that I get after I do Q&As are white men, which really <laughs> surprised me. I mean, I've seen a couple of white men cry and tell me how much they were moved by the film. Yeah. You know, that's important. And um, I think, you know, I wanted to make a very American film as much yeah. as I wanted to make a Filipino film. And the fact that it just touched so many different types of people in the course of our festival run was deeply, deeply satisfying and frankly surprising. Well, I mean, I'll have to admit when I watched the film, you know, it was here at home during my coverage for the Hawaii Film Festival. And I don't know if the room was just a little bit dusty when I was watching it, but you know, there was there's a couple, I'll say there was a couple tears that came out here and there. So I guess oh. I would definitely, I would definitely fall into that category. That, that you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of the festival run and then a potential of the theatrical release, and then, you know, let's uh, go back in time a few months to February, March, and all of a sudden we start getting news of this pandemic that's happening and all of a sudden sports is shutting down, movie theaters are shutting down, everything starts shutting down and everything becomes a question mark. So what 
was your thought process as a filmmaker holding this movie ready to be put out while all of that was becoming a reality? So we, uh, Sony had planned to release the film in April and we had a release date, I think of April 24th. And we were gearing up to announce that when everything happened. Um, and we were just, you know, doing the last minute kind of seeing what other films were coming out and trying to get the exact date of the release. And it literally happened right when California shut down that we were, I think it was that same week, in fact, that we were kind of getting ready to announce the release date. And then it just got put completely on ice and yeah. it was, and it has been that way as you watch sort of industry news, even huge movies like Tenet have been just constantly moving targets that nobody right. knows when those films will come out. And it's it was heartbreaking because, you know, my festival premiere was in May of 2019. It's been yeah. over a year, you know, which is not unusual for, you know, if films do come out much later than their festival premiere, but to wait over a year um, <laughs> is, is heartbreaking, but, I, I, you know, I can say that we're that Sony is still planning a theatrical release in the fall, and we're just sort of waiting to see when that specific date will come. But I'm hoping that we'll I don't know when this is going to air. By that point, we hopefully will know right. what our release is. But they're they've definitely wanted to hold out to give us a theatrical release, and they've been wonderful and very supportive, and feel this film deserves a theatrical release. So even the, they had a Tom Hanks movie, which they sold to Apple, you know, right, the fact right. that we, they had held out for our tiny little movie uh, means a lot to me. Yeah, we were all really surprised. I think it was Greyhound when that did go Greyhound. to Apple. We were like, oh my gosh, this is a big blockbuster Tom Hanks movie and they're, they're moving it to streaming. So that really does say a lot about your film that they want to make sure that it does get a theatrical release. Now, there's all the unknowns, like you said, you know, from day to day, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And then now, you know, we're in the middle of the global pandemic and all of a sudden protests begin for the mm. unfortunate circumstance of we all saw the video of, of Mr. George Floyd and that was really the trigger for setting all of this off, the world takes yet another turn. And what were your thoughts as the protests started to take shape? And I guess in the context of your film, kind of speaks on current events as they're playing out right now as well. So was there, I guess, just what were your thoughts as that started to take shape as well? I mean, like everyone, I was heartbroken mm -hmm. and um, deeply troubled by George Floyd and what happened, but at the same time, I was deeply proud of the way people came out and spoke up and spoke out. And for myself, specifically, as you know, there were quite a few and uh, I think a record number of hate crimes against Asians and Asian Americans, yeah. right. which was happening at the same time. And so it's just, you know, everything has come to a head and mm -hmm. it's this whole systemic racism is has come to a head. And that's what our film is about. And so to me, I feel that that our film does speak to the times we live in. And right. um, one thing, at least if we're talking about news, a couple of weeks ago, DACA was renewed, yeah, you know, yeah. the Supreme Court. And I wasn't expecting that because I think a lot of people weren't expecting it just because the Supreme Court were making very kind of liberal decisions and they were like, oh, okay, you can't do one and then the other and then sure enough, they did. So right. that's a huge thing we talk about in the film and the, you know, Rose is a dreamer. She yeah. is, and we talk about DACA in the film, she talks about it with her, her love interest in the film. <laughs> so 
you know, all of those things just make me want to release the film more. And right. I do think that seeing a story of a young brown woman who sort of fights for herself and fights for her right to be taken seriously as a human being and as a musician is something that we kind of need in these in these times. So I'm excited and I'm, I'm just very excited and anxious and eager for people to see the movie. One thing I've talked about in the past in interviews is representation and how important that is for anybody, but especially for young people, for children, especially girls, uh, different ethnic backgrounds. So I totally agree with you. If Once this movie gets out, to see that positive representation of a, a brown girl, a Filipino woman, I think it could have a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. You know, we already talked about in film festivals, people are reacting to it strongly. So just to get it out there to a, a general audience where everybody can see it, I think is hugely important. I'm glad that you're taking that approach with it of, you know, this is this is what we can create out of this situation. That, that's really powerful to hear. So now we're now living in this world that's sort of upside down from what it looks like six to seven months ago. So more in a general sense, do we even know what making a movie looks like right now? That's such a good question. Um, <laughs> No, we don't. I I don't know. I think the future of theaters is really in jeopardy. As much as a filmmaker dreams about having a theatrical release, that was one of the reasons we were so excited that we had been at, you know, acquired by Sony, is that they're one of the few places that really believe in the theatrical release. Right. And um, as opposed to a streamer, but in these changing times, you know, myself and my producers were like, maybe we just should release it online, you know, maybe it would get a, a wider audience at this point. So I think there'll always be a place for films. One thing I'm kind of excited about, I think our film would play very well in drive-ins, yeah. partly because it's got that Western quality, but then it's a music film. So having, you know, your car speakers blaring the music right. and being outside and have the sky <laughs> above you. I think it's sort of, that type of romantic film yeah, yeah. and I think it would play well. I think that's going to sort of play mm. into things. I know here in New York, uh, there's a bunch of drive-ins opening up, but I have faith that people will want to come back to the theaters. I know for myself, I'm so missed that experience. One of the great things about doing the festival run is just being around an audience while they're watching your movie and watching their collective reaction to something, you yeah. know, to sit next to a row of people laughing at the same things and crying <laughs> at the same things is moving and mm. is important. And I saw people have conversations as they came out of the theater that doesn't happen when you're at home watching on your computer or on your television. I think, you know, I'm a big, big fan and believer in the theatrical experience, so I hope that doesn't go away. It's interesting to see how it's evolving. In some ways, it's very, you know, we're all fearful that we may not have the, the type of movie theater experience we've had, but it's interesting that you say that there's going to be more drive-in theaters opening up in New York, and I'm hoping that for here in Seattle, because the nearest one for me is about two and a half hours away, so that, oh, would either no. be a, that would either be an overnight trip or a super late drive home, so depending on the movie, it, it could be worth it, but just to preserve that in some way, and it's really interesting the sort of renaissance that drive-in theaters have seen over the last mm -hmm. couple months because you know I grew up my parents took me and my brother to drive in me too yeah, so me that's, too that's part of why I love movies and that experience me too. that you describe of the music and the, just that background of the skyline and everything I would love to see that make a big comeback if that's how 
the theatrical experience is going to be maintained. But I mean, really everything like we've talked about is just up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen from day to day, let alone, you know, January or a year from now. So yeah, it's really interesting to see how all of that will play out. So do you feel there's any new possibilities that have opened up over the last few months from a filmmaking perspective that, that people may not have thought of before? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I have gotten so, I've probably taken more meetings for new projects than before the pandemic, partly because I think while studios are waiting to ramp up again, they're developing a lot of material, right, right. you know, kind of wanting to catch up. So there's a lot of movies being put into development. There's obviously the, the streaming landscape and episodic television has mm -hmm. never been more robust. So there's just more places to create than ever before. And I think not pandemic related, but I think certainly related to Black Lives Matter and the things that led up to Black Lives Matter. But there's a lot more content that is featuring people of color behind the camera, in front of yeah. the camera. Stories are being greenlit of the quote unquote other. So that definitely, yeah. I see that happening a lot. So you so feel there's a lot of change in that regard? I think so. It's hard to say because I'm kind of entering the Hollywood landscape now, but certainly the no's and the just flat out, we'll never make this movie like Yellow Rose. It's a very different landscape now, for sure. Is it perfect? No. There's definitely more room for, for somebody that looks like me to go and make right. a movie. Yeah, just to have the door open and available to have access, that's a huge step forward. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Now, going back to Yellow Rose, what would be, like, once it does get out there to the general public, if somebody walks out of the theater, how do you want them to feel? And what do you want them thinking as they walk out, either walk out of the theater or stand up from their couch, whatever it's going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Go to the bathroom. First, I hope they're singing a song. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the yeah. number one thing I hope is happening. And feeling, I hope, hopeful. I mean, it's not the happiest, you know, movie, <laughs> but there is some element of hope that I, I try to right. instill in the film and feel a bit more empathetic. I think empathy is probably the number one thing I wanted to achieve in the film. There were big scenes that I had in production that we shot and were scripted that were much more confrontational, that were very like anti-Trump, a couple in fact, and I chose to pair those back because I thought it was more important to show the, the portrayal of empathy and the America, in my opinion, that is great, our ability and desire to help one another. Um, just, you know, irrespective of our political differences and racial differences, I believe from my experience, people want to help each other. And that's what I tried to show in the film and what I hope people walk away from. One of my favorite stories is I was at a film festival in Arkansas called the Bentonville Film Festival that Gina Davis runs. And at the end of my, at the end of our screening, this man came up to me and he was like a local Arkansas guy with like a trucker hat. And I was like, oh God, you know, what's, what's, what's he going to say? And then he handed me the DVD and he said, oh, you know, I just want to introduce myself. I was the projectionist. And then he just started crying. Oh my gosh. He said, I didn't know what this movie was going to be about, but <laughs> I was so moved by it. I never thought in a million years what it would be like for somebody like that and to go through that. And I was just so moved and I loved it so much. And I just, what, I just liked it. I didn't even know anything about it, but I would never have 
thought about what that experience would be like until I saw this movie. And I want all my friends to go see it now. And I, he just started crying. He said, and I hope it was in focus because I was crying so much I wasn't paying attention. That to me is the ultimate response. So I do hope it starts conversations. I, I think it will have some controversy for sure right. on both sides, but that's what that's what a good film, a good film starts conversations. Yeah, you don't want to completely take the easy route and try to please everybody. So I'm glad you're able to find a good balance there. And I'm glad the movie, from what you're saying, is going to have a release date soon here in the fall. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I think it's been almost a year now since I've seen it. And I'm like, I, I need to see this movie again. So but, oh. uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. There's a lot of a lot of ground to cover. And I really appreciate you taking the time to go over these topics with me. Is, is there anything else you want to add to the conversation before we wrap up? No, just be on the lookout for our release date. I think we're releasing a revised trailer soon and a new oh, wow. poster. Nice. So all those things will come once we know the release date. Please, you know, look at look at our website, which is yellowrosefilm.com and Yellow Rose Film on all socials. Please tag us, watch the trailer if you haven't already and just support us when we come out. It's really important, not just for my movie, but for, for Filipinos and Filipino Americans to yeah. see, you know, a story that's authentic to my community. Diane, thank you again for being here and I wish you all the success in the future. Yellow Rose debuts in theaters nationwide were available on October 9th. This is Mark Morin with Diane Paragas on the 206.com podcast series, New Directions in Film. Next week's episode will debut on Tuesday, September 29th, and will feature writer and director Nick Nevada, whose movie Words on Bathroom Walls has been playing in theaters for about a month now. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of these interviews, and if you can spare a couple minutes to leave a review, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. 